Well, as we, as we get into the Word, I want, I want you to consider a, a scenario. And so would you imagine with me that, that we're sitting in a courtroom. Some of you are more familiar with courtrooms than others, and that's okay uh, for various reasons. But um, I want you to imagine that you're sitting in the audience. You're not on trial personally, but you're, you're, you just watched... Uh, the case of a man who has just been convicted of numerous, numerous crimes, fraud, larceny, battery and assault, murder, and, and others. And I, and I want you to think about the fact that this man's history of lawlessness has, has extended even before he was an adult. And as you imagine this, I want you to Think about the fact that there are in this room individuals, families that have been impacted by this man's actions. And j- just so we're all on the same page and not trying to figure out who this man is, this is imaginary. This is a, a thought experiment. But I want you to imagine the, the families and the, the individuals that were impacted by his actions, by his crimes, people that have been def- defrauded, people that have been Uh, stolen from, people that have had their reputations ruined, people that have been physically and emotionally harmed. And as you think of this, I want you to imagine the judge presiding over the case saying the following, despite the numerous allegations and crimes that this man has committed and we've seen that they've been proven that he's done these things, and the many people that his actions have negatively impacted, I'm going to overlook his offenses and dismiss this case. What, what, what do you think the response of the people would be? What would your response be? I think for many of us, and, and for the, the people in the, in the seats, there'd be a sense, an, an outrage of, of injustice. Justice has not been served. How could a just judge overlook the crimes of this individual and still remain just? This scenario is, this is our life. This is our scenario. We may not necessarily have a criminal record, but we've got a record when it comes to God. And we all know the things that we've done wrong, even if it's just wrong by our own standard. Maybe you're in the room and and you don't necessarily follow the same, you're you're kind of dipping your toe in this Christian thing, but we all have a standard that we've set in our own lives of what we ought to do and we ought not to do, and we have all fallen short of that standard. And even though we might be tempted to downplay our offenses, we've all hurt others. And more than that, if we're honest and if we're willing to listen to what Scripture says, we've all sinned and done things that have broken God's law and offended an infinitely honorable God. And so my question for us to consider as we think about baby Jesus, and I I don't mean to be dour, but as we think about this, I want us to ask the question, how can a just God overlook your sin and my sin and still remain just? How can a just, righteous, good God overlook your offenses, my offenses, and still be called just? So let's stand together. We're going to read out of Luke chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and all were each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we, we marvel at the extraordinary reality of God condescending to us, taking on our humanity, and humbling himself even to the point of being a newborn baby, entrusting his, his very existence to these fallible, imperfect, fragile individuals. And Lord, as we consider the, the commonplace, the earthy nature of your, your son's advent, your son's coming, God, I pray that we would see that he came to be like us, that he might be in our place. Lord, that he took on our humanity so that we might benefit from his divinity. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, give us a sense of our need for a substitute, and fill us with joy at the prospect that you have provided. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It might feel a little disconnected, the question I asked at the beginning and and this wonderful little story uh, of of baby Jesus. And and as I was getting ready um, this morning, I thought to myself, it's a dark way to start a Christmas service. Um, but, but, But stick with me and keep that question in your pocket as we consider this wonderful story of Jesus' birth. You know... What Luke gives us here is a picture of the fact that Jesus was real, that he was human, and he was humble. Again, Jesus was a real child, not some sort of mythical character, not some sort of um, origin story for this religion that we follow, but he was real, embedded in our history, and he, he was human. He wasn't just God coming down on, on a cloud of lightning destroying his enemies in a word, though he could, but he, he embodied himself. He, he took on human flesh and became not just a man. He didn't come down as a man, like the Superman, but he, he came as a child. He was human, and he was humble. See, Luke wants us to know that, that Jesus' life was a real life. If you were to go to the beginning of the book of Luke, you can see that he's writing to this guy, Theophilus, and he wants to give an orderly account of what has happened. And he's going to give an account of the life of Jesus Christ to explain that this man really did come. He really did live this amazing life. He really did accomplish these amazing things and die in a, in a really unique way. And then, even more uniquely, rise from the dead. And so he begins in chapter 2 to tell us about Jesus's human origin story. Um, It it isn't a fictional, mythical fiction. This isn't 
This isn't a, a story of, of Zeus and Hera and, and some of the demigods of, of Greek mythology. This isn't, this isn't that. It's a real story. He embeds it in reality. And that's why he says things like, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. We know who Caesar Augustus is. He's the grandson of, of Julius Caesar. And he was, he was the heir to the throne. And he was ruling and reigning at this time. And so Caesar Augustus sent out a, a, a decree that the world should be registered, that there ought to be a census, likely be for tax purposes. Again, when, if I were to write a mythical story, I don't know that I would involve taxes. I don't know about you, but when I think of like mythology and power and dynamics, I don't think of taxes and, and who's the head of this household and how much do they make. But that's, that's the detail that, that Luke is including because Jesus was real. He talks about this, this man, Quirinius, the governor of Syria. <clears throat> he talks about people traveling to their hometowns, to their ancestral homes. This reads less like a fairy tale and more like a history text. And, and sometimes when we come to Christmas time, I don't know about you, but when, you hear, when I hear this text, I hear Linus. Um, I hear uh, Christmas traditions and trappings around this. But if we step back and look at this, what Luke is trying to tell us is that Jesus is and was real. Um, <clears throat> and, and he goes on and he talks about how, how Joseph was going to Bethlehem because he was of uh, the, the lineage of David. And that's important because he's giving us a nod to the fact that Jesus is going to be a king. And he's going to be a king because he's in the line of kings. So Luke wants us to read this and know that Jesus' birth was real. But not only was it real, but it was really human. He was and is human. He's not only human, and we'll talk about that some tonight, but he is human. If you go on in verses 6 and 7, it says that, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, dot, dot, dot. That's about... Mothers, that's, that's how your pregnancy and labor went, right? It was like two sentences long. All the husbands are nervously laughing because that was not two sentences long. It's, it's funny, Luke, is, he's a surgeon, or he's, he's a physician rather, but he's also a man. And so a lot of detail is just left out. Uh, but it, it was part of the brevity of his language shows just the commonplace nature of the labor. There wasn't much to report. You know, it wasn't as though she went into labor and then angels showed up and, and you know, an orb of light and, and actually Jesus kind of zoomed out of her womb like, like some sort of Star Trek moment. He, he's speaking to some adults who are aware of how, how birth happens and he says, birth happened. Birth happened. There's no spectacular occurrence, no flashes of light, no mythical labor experience. She just gave birth. It was probably painful. It probably took some time. There were probably people around helping her. She gave birth to this child who shared her DNA. Half of her chromosome, his chromosomes were hers. He, he shared some of her physical features. He shared in her humanity. Um, Jesus was human. He is human. He wasn't just human, though. He was also humble. 
Mary and Joseph, they had to travel to this hometown. And there's another place where they, they dedicate Jesus and, and they give an offering. And of the various offerings that are prescribed, they give the offering for those who make less money, for those who are poor. He, they're not necessarily well off. Jesus is being born into some humble circumstances. It says that Mary gave birth and wrapped the baby in swaddling cloths and laid him in a, in a manger in a feeding trough. Um, they didn't have a nursery ready necessarily. They didn't have a palace with separate rooms. They didn't travel to Bethlehem to be received by a, 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 a cadre of individuals who were going to care for them and, and put them up in, in this amazing mansion. It's likely that they were staying with Joseph's family in a small one-bedroom Palestinian home. You know, when we read this, and, and when I first read this, and, and over the years I've thought of, okay, I guess she just, she went to Bethlehem, and the night that she got there, she went into labor, and they, they couldn't find any rooms. All the holiday inns were filled up, because it's Christmas, and uh, everyone's traveling. But that's not actually what happened. They, they got there, and, and it's likely they stayed with family. I mean, this is, this is ancient Near Eastern time where, where uh hospitality is, is one of the highest values. So they had a place to stay. And, and that room in, that word in, it can also mean guest room. So what, what actually was probably happening was they were staying with family, of which there was a lot. There were a lot of people in this room. She goes into labor, and then there's a baby, but there's not a lot of room. And so this being a, a first century, or a, yeah, first century Palestinian home, they would bring in the animals and they had an area where they had to have the animals and there'd be an animal trough within the house. And so they were like, well, it's, the guest room is too small for all of us because there are so many people here. We're going to put this baby in this baby trough, now a baby trough. <laughs> this is not the normal setting for a king. It's not the normal circumstance for the story of a God. Jesus' birth was, was humble. Jesus' birth was real, it was human, and it was humble. Now, why would God, who had made so many promises in the Old Testament of sending a king, and they knew what opulence looked like. Solomon was an amazing king. He was one of the richest kings, wisest kings. I mean, he, he, he would have made... Uh, Scrooge McDuck look like a pauper. And if you don't know who that is, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But suffice it to say, he would, Scrooge McDuck would, would swim in, you know, oceans of coins. And, and Solomon was rich. David was mighty. They, they knew how kings ought to have been treated. There was, there was an idea of what greatness looked like. Why would God send Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords to, to Bethlehem, to this kind of setting, this kind of situation. He sent him because we need a substitute. I asked the question, how can a just God overlook your and my offenses and remain just? Well, he can't unless someone else stands in our place. See, in order for God to remain just and yet give us mercy, he he had to punish sin, but he couldn't punish sin apart from the sinner. We would love to just say, okay, um, 
here's my sin. Jesus, you go, or God, you go take it, and, and I'll go over here. But the problem is, it's in us. It's in me. There, there's no, like, organ that we can remove that also removes your sin. It's not like you get your tonsils out and, oh, good, you, we pulled the sin out while we were in, um, so you're good to go. No, he had to punish the sinner with the sin. And in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. In chapter 5, he says, verse 21, For our sake, for your sake and my sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. God treated Jesus, this baby who would then grow up to be a man and stand in our place, treated him like a sinner, treated him like that man that we imagined at the beginning, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So in this substitution, Jesus, this amazing king, comes as a humble, human, real person so that us humble, human, real people might be able to experience the extraordinary gift of salvation. Jesus came as a real, human, humble savior so that he could take our real, human, and humiliated place so that we could experience real, divine salvation. And the word says that he humbled himself as we had been studying in, in Philippians to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I could have eternal life, not only by our, not by our good behavior or our works, not by doing good things, but simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. You know, today, hopefully, you don't have to go shopping, but if you do, no shame. Um, tomorrow, you're going to see friends and family. It's going to be hectic, but probably there will be moments of, of happiness and excitement and joy for the kids more, for the parents. We're going to put on a happy face. For the grandparents, they get, to, they get to give all the gifts and the candy and stuff and just watch the mayhem happen. Yeah, all the, all the grandparents, we earned it. So we had to deal with y'all. Anyways, um, and I'm excited for that. We'll get to exchange gifts. We'll likely eat more than we ought to. And we'll get to remember the trappings of Christmas. Red, green, taking opportunities to kiss my wife where there's holly, embarrass my kids, getting presents, giving presents. That's great. I'm excited for that. I want you to be excited for that. I want you to embrace all those fun things. But as you're doing it, as we celebrate Christmas, I want you to remember the Christ we celebrate. The fact that he came humbly as a human. He really came. We're not just celebrating a fun story so that we can do fun things together. We're celebrating God who decided to join us. In John, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it goes and says, and He took on flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched His tent with us. And we celebrate that. It's good news for you, family. Let's pray. Jesus, we celebrate you. 
We celebrate the fact that you are God and at the same time you are real and human and you were humble. And the word says that, that you exalt those who humble themselves. And so God, we thank you that, that Jesus has been exalted far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. The word says not only in this age, not only in this time, but in every age and any age, Jesus stands above them. And as we remember your, your advent, your first advent, God, I thank you that, that we get to look forward to your second coming when you'll take all the brokenness, all the wrongs, and you will show that you are both just and merciful. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord, as your master and your savior, and you want to do that today, you want to put your life in his hands rather than trying to earn some sort of way to God or, or find your own way to God, would you, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray with you. Would you be willing to pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that, that we would embrace not just Christmas, but the Christ of Christmas, that we would embrace your son, fully human, fully God, who came and humbled himself in order that we might be lifted up. And we pray, God, I pray that our eyes would be open to see and appreciate and rejoice with all that you've done and all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.